Some of you guys are really getting tired of that video, aren't you? You're watching, you get stressed out just watching it. That's what we've been talking about, breathing room. And there's places that stress us out and cause us grief and worry and all kinds of things in our, in our lives. And just watching that reminded you of some of those places. Uh, there was this guy named Richard Swenson. He's a doctor. And he said, you know, I started noticing a trend of people coming into my, my office. People not with broken arms or broken legs, but, but broken people. And they're broken because they're living life on the edge, uh, of the edge in their time and their, their schedule and their finances and moral edges. And we've talked about these things the last couple of weeks. And just to, to catch you up, uh, there is this, the, the, the phrase that we're using, margins, is that space. You know about margins. You see it. If you're like me, I go to my computer and I see every day there's margins on the, the side of your Word document or your your piece of paper that you, you can set. There's that red line that comes there. You set your margins. That space on the edges that we, we have there. If you don't have margin in traffic, space between cars, something happens. Bad things happen. Uh, you can maybe pile up or hit the car in front of you. There's not enough space there. So we need space. We need margin in our life. We're calling that breathing room for this series. And breathing room, we've called it, is the space between our current pace and our limits. The amount available beyond what is necessary. And, and when there's no breathing room, and, and this is kind of the visual we're using, and you know, some of you are, are kind of neat freaks and others are more creative spirits, uh, but you know, when there's no breathing room, life kind of looks like this, okay? It, it just is chaotic. It's stress. It's just, ah, pull my hair out kind of stuff. Now, we're not talking about closets. Let's be honest, some of us have closets that look like this, okay? All right? I might have one or two of these kind of closets, right? But we're not talking about closets. We're talking about our life. We're talking about our hearts. We're talking about just the way that we live. And it's so much easier when life looks like this, when your heart looks like this. Now, you might be wondering why there's a few less shirts. I needed clothes this week, and uh, <laughs> I was tired of wearing the ones that I had been wearing in a small rotation. But we, we like that. We need breathing room in some places of our lives. And they're just places, you know, we've talked about the first couple of weeks here with time. That If you don't have breathing room in your schedule, you are just constantly on edge. You know, hopefully you're going to guard that as you get into the school year. We talked about it a couple weeks ago with morals. You know, there were some lines, some edges, that if you don't have guardrails, you, it leads to some major regrets and places and things that, that you, you can't go back on. And uh, today we're going to talk about finances. With finances, it, there's some places that if you don't have breathing room, it leads to some major, major problems. With time, what do we say about time? Time is the most precious thing that we have. Because once you spend time, you don't get it back, right? It's gone. It's once a minute is, is gone here today and, and gone. But with finance, it's a little different. Because once you spend money, guess what you can do? You can borrow something that you don't have, which kind of leads to even more chaos, doesn't it? And, and I don't know if you've ever seen people, and we kind of keep this area of our life secret, but there are people maybe that you know, we'll just call them friends, that they are stressed to the max because there's no breathing room in their finances. In our culture, they, they bait us in into this whole thing because 
the culture is not out to help you. Let's be honest. I was at, uh, when I was in Treveca in Nashville, it's a school I went to, they had this booth at the football game. I got a free ticket to the football game, and they had this booth, and it was basically, get a free t-shirt, a Vanderbilt free t-shirt, if you sign up for the credit card. Have you seen those booths before, the Astro Games, other places? Free t-shirt, you get it right now, absolutely sign me up, I'll take one. And I did. I had never had a credit card before. I was a freshman in college. So I get the free t-shirt. I instantly put it on. I go to the game. A couple of weeks later, I get this credit card in the mail. And guess what you can do with those? You just spend them on whatever you want. You need food because college kids, the food ain't good, okay, in cafeterias. Maybe it's just Nazarene schools, but it ain't good where I was at Trebek at the time. I ate a lot of cereal. I want to eat out every now and then. And uh, so just would go and, and buy clothes or this or that because I wanted some things. I needed, you know, need becomes, want becomes need pretty quickly when you have a credit card. And so I would spend, spend, spend. Before you knew it, I had $2,000 in debt. And I just my freshman year. And I cannot tell you for the life of me where that went. And so I spent the next couple of years, uh, instead of getting a car that I really needed, I kept bumming rides from friends and, and then paying that money that kept growing and growing because that's what happens on credit cards. But the, the culture, it baits us into this. How many credit card offers do you get per year, do you think? Per week, per month? How many do you see in your mail? They're just constantly coming, aren't they? And, and just 0% for the next 36 months if you buy this or that, these signs that kind of pull us in for sale. Buy one, get one free. This is a great deal. And through commercials, through signs, we're constantly told the message, if you just have this, then you will be happy. You see, you'll see it commercials today. If you just have one of these, if you'll just get the new model of this, then life will be better, won't it? Life will be great. Now, how many of us, maybe some of the situations we've talked about so far, maybe others, have, let's just say we have friends that have had financial stress before in their lives. You don't have any friends that have had financial stress? You're either really lazy or you're lying, okay? Because I think we all have experienced at some point, if you're over the age of 12, some kind of financial stress before, <laughs> all right? Now, what the Wall Street Journal tells us is this, that 70% of Americans, they're living from paycheck to paycheck. 52% of marriages, they say, end in divorce. Well, if it ends within the first seven years, it's because 90% of the time it's something to do with finances in there. I, I get the privilege of marrying a couple in a, in a couple of weeks, and one of the first things I'm going to talk about in marriage counseling is what's your financial plan? Do you have a plan? You know, what are some things that you guys need to talk about? Because this is such an important area of our lives, and it's one that we don't talk about but it's so important because if we don't have that breathing room, if our financial lives look like this, then we're, we're robbing God of opportunities. We're living with stress. We're doing things that, that God doesn't want us to do. And so I've really been thinking about this. How can we seek God? Because God talks about, you know that God talks about money a lot in the Bible. How can we learn from what he tells us in, in God's word? A couple of things that stuck out when I was thinking through this the last few weeks is maybe we've got to stop asking the wrong questions. When I, we bought a house a few years ago when we first moved here, our first house, we sat down, I think it was with Michael Kreider, who helped us, great real estate guy here, you should use him, uh, he's uh, at the church, 
the best in Houston. Uh, we're sitting down with him, and we're starting the process of looking for a house, and you have to have the finance part of the house right. And so in this conversation, when we start to talk about kind of the place, the, uh, you know, the, 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 how much house can you buy, all right? And so the question came to my mind that I never thought of. Well, how much can we buy? How much can we borrow? What is that number? What is that max number? Because that, you know, there's a number that you can only borrow so much. And so that number was like, well, what is that number? Because if I know that number, guess what kind of house that I'm going to buy? As close to that number as possible. Yeah? Are you with me? You tracking with me? You know, if I have X amount of money to spend or available, then that's what I want to, I want to max that out. That kind of come, came into my mind. Thankfully, we didn't max that out. But maybe you felt that before. You know, how much can I borrow? Can I buy this? And, and maybe we should reverse it a little bit and say, well, what's the wise question that we should ask? Not can I, should I? Can I lease this? Sure. Should I lease this? I don't know. Can I afford this? Should I afford this? Can I borrow? Should I borrow? Andy Stanley says it this way. In light of your past financial experience, your current financial picture, and your future financial hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? If we were to stop and ask that question, what is the wise thing to do in this, this situation? I wonder how things would change. There's another thing that jumped in my mind. Uh, there's a place that I go to, uh, Panera. They have coffee. The, the bagels are better than the coffee. The coffee's okay, but it's free refills. So, hey, free refills. Uh, but they have this little thing on the, the wall that's, the, that's near the restroom. It's this quote right here. Maybe you've seen it before in our Panera. The powers of a man's mind are directly proportional to the quantity of, co- of coffee that he drinks. The power of a man's mind are proportional to the quantity of coffee that he drinks. Okay, how many coffee fans in the house? All right, how many need your coffee? All right, if you don't have your coffee, did you get your coffee every morning with your kids this week? Good, good. All right, I found this t-shirt, just the coffee lovers. Maybe this will be good for us or for others. Here you go, all I need today is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. Uh, I think that applies to us, you know. We need that. I think that's good, good advice. But there is this, this correlation, coffee, quantity of, of the mind, all right? Now, somewhere along the, the way, culture or the world has taught us something, okay? They've taught us that the quality of life, your quality of life, is proportional to your standard of living. If you raise your standard of living, then your quality of life will go up. But that is not true. It's not true. I don't know about you, but people I know that that have a lot, they're not necessarily the quality of their life isn't isn't raising. In fact, I see a lot of people that have a lot in the standard of living, but they are so stressed out trying to pay for it, trying to work for it to to pay for it. There are more hours, more things on top of things and bills, and it's just, it's not equaling up. In in fact, as I've thought about it more and more, I've heard some of you guys talk this way. You know, I remember back when we didn't have much, talking about couples, we didn't have a lot, but we had, man, some amazing time together. We didn't have much, but we had each other, and we had amazing experiences together. It seems like 
that correlation doesn't work always. That, that's not a natural fit. It doesn't always equal that you can have a quality of life, but it's not necessarily based on your standard of living. I saw it again when I've, I went to Dominica. In Dominica, we went to some of the, the poorest places there, the people that had nothing, that were just houses that, that wouldn't stand up to a, a breeze coming by. And some of the happiest people in the world this natural joy of loving God and loving other people and living life in community. It was amazing. I remember even as a kid, and I know that our kids have, my kids have technology and stuff and more things than I ever had as a kid. We didn't have much. I mean, some of you guys are back to uh, kicking a can. Go back to those days where you had a can and a stick and that was your games. You know, when you walked five miles to, through the snow and to school, whoever you might be here. But you know, I remember back... You know, when we grew up, we didn't, we didn't have a ton of stuff, but we got together and played, and the quality of your life was amazing. I remember growing up and just the joy and the, the love that we had and the fun that we had, and I just don't think those things are proportional to each other. Are you with me? You know, let's just look at people that have a lot of money that we see on the cover of magazines. It doesn't seem like the quality of their life in the long run. We may praise these people. Man, it doesn't seem like there's a life full of a lot of long-lasting love or joy. See, Jesus, he talks about this. I want to give you life and life more abundantly. John chapter 10, verses 10. I want you, to have, I want you to have life more abundantly. I don't think he's talking about I want to raise your standard of living. I think he's talking about I want you to raise your quality of life. I want your quality of life to be better. And what is he speaking of? Peace. I want you to have peace. I want you to have love in your heart and your life. I want you to have joy, real joy that this world knows nothing about. I want you to experience patience. I want you to experience these qualities that are so, oh, they're so life-giving. But we have been convinced somewhere, it's in our DNA, it's intrinsic, that if I just have more, if I buy more, if I get more, if I get that car, if I get that house, if I get this, or if I get that, then the quality of my life is going to go up. And some of you know what I'm saying is true because you've gotten this and that and this. And you found out that that wasn't the answer. It reminds me, there's this story, John chapter 4, and he's talking to this woman at the well. And he says, listen, you've been trying this water your whole life, but it doesn't fill you. I've got a different kind of water for you. I've got something else in mind for you. And if you have this, you'll never have a need for another. Wow, I want that kind of water. So here's kind of a principle for us as we get, get going here. Creating breathing room financially may lower your standard of living. And I know there's a gasp. <gasps> That's not very American. But will raise your quality of life. So let me ask you this. Would you rather have a higher standard of living or a higher quality of life? That's a fundamental question that you're going to have to answer internally. Jesus talks about money. I know that you know this. I've just said it. But Matthew 6 says it this way. This is his like coming out sermon. This is probably the best sermon that's been ever written before, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. He says it this way. Your eye, I think it's on the screen, your eye is a lamp, and all these are in red. These are red letters because these are the words of Jesus, the Son of God. 
Your eye is a lamp that provides a lamp or a light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one or you will love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When I hear that, there's a cringe inside of me. It's a personal cringe because there is something there that God, Jesus is trying to tell us this. He's trying to tell us that there is a possibility that you can become a slave to money, a slave to money in this, this world, and to want. And, and there's a choice. There's a definitive choice there. He's given it. It's not like a, a both. It's a choice. And, and immediately, I think of that story. Remember the, the rich young ruler that came up to Jesus, and he said, he said, Jesus, what must I do to get eternal life? And he says, well, you know the commandments. You know, love the Lord your God. And, he, and the, the, the ruler, he spits it out. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your, all your soul, and all your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's correct. And Jesus says this. This is what I want you to do. Go and sell everything and give it to the poor. And the, the word says his face dropped and he walked away because he had much wealth. Now, here's the part that's, that gets me in that story. Jesus doesn't say, stop, wait, let's make a deal. He's not a used car salesman. The man walks away because his master was not God. That hits me. There's a definitive thing there. There's a, there's a choice there. And God isn't like, no, 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 you can have both. And it, that cuts deep in me when I read that. You can't have two masters. Keep reading in 25. That's why I tell you, don't worry about, every, about everyday life, whether you have enough money or enough food or drink and enough clothes to wear. It isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? We just, we just sang that. We just sang that last song. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the, the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That's another one, just to my gut. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today... Trouble is enough for today. So as I was thinking about this and this, how we can have breathing room in our spending, I kind of, as I read God's word and I I hear what he's trying to to tell us, I think there's four main things that you can do with money. And I think we maybe can expand this list, but we'll just call it broadly. Four things that you can do with money. You can spend it, okay? We got that. We know how to do that pretty well, all right? We can spend money. The second thing that you can do with money is you can save it. Or let's say pay taxes. We'll go pay taxes first. 
You got to do that, okay? You miss a few April 15th and uh, just try that a few times. It's not going to go well for you, okay? I know we can't stand them, but you have to pay taxes, all right? It's just a part of the deal. In, in fact, you know what? One of these the scenarios came up one day and uh, they said, well, well, should we pay taxes? They were asking Jesus this. And someone flipped him a coin and said, give me a coin. He said, whose, whose image is on that coin? They said, well, it's, it's Caesar's. And he said, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God, what is God's? Now, there's kind of a double meaning there. Yes, you should pay taxes. You should do that. The other part of it is this. Whose image were we made in? We were made in God's image. Give to God what is God's. Kind of a cool thing there. So you got to pay taxes. They tell us we need to do that. It's, It's a good thing. Save it. You should save it. That's another thing we can do with money. And then the last thing is you can give it. You can, you can give it to, to others or give it away or give it to God. Now, you could, we could probably break those down a little bit more. You know, what about paying debt? You know, that's kind of spend it. You know, you've already spent it, so you're paying for the things that you spent that are, that are there. And, and so, you know, as we think about that list, these four things, you know, and you think about that passage of Scripture, you know, it says this, don't, don't worry about what I'm going to eat and what I'm going to drink, and you know, let's just add where I'm going to live, and, and what I'm going to wear, you know, those are all things that are what? They're, they're all focused around me. They're all me-focused that are, that are there. They're all number one on that list. How am I going to spend it? So that's the, maybe the priority of our lives as we think about it. I don't know if we can put that list back up there. There's four things. This can, can become our heart priority as well. But number one on that list is me, how I'm going to spend that money. And then it kind of goes down the list as well. i got to pay taxes. I might as well save a little bit. I don't want to you know, be working on my life. And then, then if I have anything left over, I can, I'll give it. But if I'm just focused on the things that I'm going to eat, if I'm just focused on the things that I'm going to wear and, and where I'm going to live and, 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 and all of these things, what I'm going to drink, then my whole life is centered. It can be on me. Now, there's this passage. Uh, You've got these little things in your, your uh, folder you get them every week. Some of you know it. Some of you see it or not. It's this, it, we call it a tithe envelope. And on there is this verse. It says this, Malachi. It's not Malachi, by the way. It's a Jewish guy. Uh, not an Italian guy. Malachi. Hey. Uh, but that's Malachi. And uh, we don't go to the book of Malachi very often. But this is the passage that sticks out to us. It's the book actually before Matthew in the Old Testament. And, and the, 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 the verse is right here. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So there'll be enough food in my temple if you do so. And it says the heaven's army, the Lord's of heaven's army. I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you will have enough room to take it in and try it. Now what is he saying here? When he's talking to the people is this. He's like, he says this, you've been giving God your leftovers. Leftovers. You've been, and that's what he's trying to tell the people there. You've been giving God your leftovers. Now, do you have leftover rules in your house? I have leftover rules. They're personal leftover rules for me. My wife, we have this discussion quite often. If there is a great meal in my house that's made, a homemade meal, two days, uh, and then I am like, it passes the two-day mark, I'm done, okay? That's just me. I know some of you, I talked to somebody, they were like, we had this discussion. It's like seven days if it's a great meal, okay? For me, two days tops, okay? If it is a store-bought, if it was Papacitos, okay, and fajitas, uh, then it maybe go to three days, okay? But that's about it, all right? That's about the line on that, all right? And we also have this rule, if you can eat leftovers community-wise in the house, if it's, it fits from the house, 
But if it's somebody's leftovers from a restaurant, uh, those are fighting words. If you steal somebody's papacitos uh, or fighting actions, uh, you can't do that. But um, so there's kind of leftover rules. We would never, ever, if Jesus was walking today, we would never, if he came into your house, you wouldn't serve him leftovers. You wouldn't say, hey, let me go get that, uh, let me go get that uh, potato soup from four days ago, Jesus. No, you would give him it your best. You would do your best for him. And that's what he's saying is like, don't wait until the end and just give me your leftover crops and food. I'm calling you to put me first in your life and even your finances. If you want breathing room in your life, put God first. Don't give him your leftovers. Now, here's kind of a side note. Can we have a side note? This is just you and me. This is not the sermon part. I'm either going to stop off this thing. There's a part of you that's really, like this whole thing is awkward, okay? When we talk about money, it gets kind of awkward. And if you're a guest with us, I'm, I'm sorry that you're here on a day we're talking about money. We don't talk about money every week, but I don't apologize that we're talking about money because it's so important. Jesus knew it was important. You know, I get kind of, there's an anxious feeling in me because I see videos like I saw a couple weeks ago. Maybe you saw the one with John Oliver, He's kind of a political comedian, and, and there was this video that basically just kind of talked about telemarketing, televangelists that are out to get your money. And I get that. I feel that. I see that. And I, I watched that, and I was like, I cringed inside. There was a couple parts that were kind of funny because they were making fun of some people that need to be made fun of. But there was a part of me that just kind of cringed because I feel like a lot of people, just, we just get lumped into that place altogether. Are you with me? And, and I know that there's a mistrust that's there. And I would, I would hope that you would just give me this. There, I've been the pastor now for about a year, and, and one of the biggest weights that I felt we, felt, we talked about the weight of being a parent earlier. The biggest weight that I feel as a, as a pastor, being the pastor of this church, is how we handle money. And I would say, and we, and we say this every time we get together as a board, we want to be the best stewards we can possibly be of the things that, that comes into the church. We, we've got to be the best. We've got to use this in the best possible way that we can honor God with our money as a church. Now, can I tell you this? Our church, some of you are here, and I don't know who gives, but I know this. Some of you guys are amazing givers. You've been amazing for a long time. In fact, here's a little surprise. In a couple of weeks... We are going to have a celebration. It's the 20th anniversary of this building and this place. That we, God gave a vision to the people that, that started this place and, and we found the land and built here. Guess what? In a couple of weeks, we are going to burn their mortgage. So officially, we will be debt free. That's because of you. That's because of your faithfulness. And by you, I mean you know who you are, all right? You know who you are that have been giving percentage giving for a long, long time. And, and we give tons and tons and tons of money away. Tons of money goes out of these doors to ministry and missions. And we pray about that all the time. How, God, tell us where to spend this money. Lord, to, to do what we're doing locally, but also around the globe. And you have been a big part of that. 
thank you so much for that. All right? Now back on the sermon, okay? What if everybody got that vision like some of you do? Because here's the percentage that only Christians around the world, they give about 2%. 2%. God kind of tells us this, gives us a model of, of 10%. Now, this is a great model of the Old Testament. My sister, she said this, should we tithe? Is that just an Old Testament thing? I thought about the question, and I started looking at the examples in the New Testament. She asked me this a couple months ago. Now, if I look at the New Testament, you know what it says? Give everything. <laughs> 10% sounds pretty good. <laughs> it, it's this thing of don't let money lord over you, and 10% helps us to say, God, I'm going to give this to you, and it's going to set the precedent for the rest of the way I spend money. But what if, instead of 2%, what if Christians gave 10%? Guess what? There would be $165 billion extra dollars that would be generated around the globe. Guess what that money could do? $25 billion would relieve global hunger. $12 billion would eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water problem. $1 billion for people that live, just one billion people around the globe, there's about seven billion on the planet, they live off of one dollar a day, and we could solve the sanitation problem, the water problem around the globe. One billion could, could fully fund all overseas missions, and that would still leave about 100 to 110 billion dollars for local missions if we did what God asked us to do. That's amazing. That is amazing. So, as I'm reading this, as I'm kind of processing all this in the last few weeks, I really think what God's telling us to do, and I know this is going to blow your mind, I think he's asking us to reverse that list. What if the way that we handled our money, our money, is if we gave it first, we save it second, because God, when he says, don't worry about tomorrow, he's not saying, don't be a fool, Okay? Tomorrow, you need to think about tomorrow. Don't just, but be, don't be a fool. And then we, we pay taxes because we have to, and then what's left over, we spend it. Now, I'm, we're trying to teach your kids. I actually taught about giving with our kids. And so we tried something this morning, and hopefully it'll work. We had a little time with our, our kids in the new area this morning, and uh, check out this video. You know, in our house, uh, Noah's starting to earn some money, and we have, we have three jars, and we learned this from kids' ministry. And one of them is spend it, one of it's Give it, and one of it's save it. And every time we get money, we teach him what that's about. Because we know that there's something that pulls at our hearts. It pulls at our hearts. And money one day, and maybe that day is today for you, it just has a hold of you. And we don't want that for our kids. We want to teach them early what that looks like. Now, some of you are already going, man, that is crazy. How in the world can we do that? How can we live that way? Where does it say that? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things would be added unto you. This kingdom of God, and it's radical. When Jesus says, put me first in all that you do, man, you think about some of the other things that Jesus said. He tells us this, the kingdom of God looks like this. When someone does something awful to you, when insults you, when they hurt you, when they physically maybe hurt you, do we go out and inflict the same kind of pain and hurt on someone else? No. We forgive. We forgive. We don't even hold a grudge. As difficult as that can be. The kingdom of God, it, it, it's not take, 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 because if I don't take, 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 there's not going to be enough for me. 
because there's not enough in the world. And just good luck, you, because it's, you know, survival of the fittest. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about giving. In fact, Jesus himself, the creator of the universe, the kingdom of this world is this. Get to a certain place where others, they do what? They serve you. What did Jesus do? He served others. He said, well, that just sounds so, that's so opposite. That's exactly the point. The kingdom of God is a very opposite kingdom. Now, as we go back, some of you are going, listen, this sounds great, but, but the verse that sticks out to me, what am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? What am I going to drink? And that's what Jesus does in this passage. He answers those questions. Don't worry about these things. Don't you know that your Father, your Heavenly Father, knows your needs? Don't you know that? Don't focus on the things that unbelievers focus on, but focus on the kingdom of God, and he will give you everything you need. Now, some of you in the middle of this room are going, if you only knew. If you only knew what's on paper back at my house or the stacks of paper. I can't imagine. I don't even know where to start. It's so big. It's so, I mean, just the, the stress of my life, the financial burden that I have right now. I was uh, thinking back to a couple of, of years ago, we filmed a video, and, and it's a testimony, and I wanted you to, to check it out. It's from a, a friend named Kurt. Amen. Amen. It's good stuff. I, I remember that video, and I thought, there was a question that came to mind. I wonder how much. What, that, what was that mountain like? $75,000 in debt that through Dave Ramsey, the plan through Dave Ramsey, and maybe some of you guys have used that before, and if you haven't, it's a great one. It, it, it's a good one of, of, of a couple, but it's a good one to try and, and to begin to knock out debt. Was it easy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But little by little, that got knocked out. And three and a, I was just three and a half years. Set. That's amazing that God could do that. And that's a, what, a, what a testament to him. There's something that, that stuck out to me as I was thinking about this. I was kind of processing this all a couple weeks ago, and I was hanging out uh, with a mentor friend of mine. And there's some mentors that I have in this church that I look up to greatly. And uh, friend, this, this one friend, I'll, I'll just call him Jack uh, because that was his name. Uh, <laughs> he invited me to lunch one day, and I thought, we're going to go to lunch somewhere, and we'll sit down and eat. And he said, well, no, I've got some stuff I've got to get done. And so how about you? You jump in my truck, and we'll go, and we'll get some fast food, and uh, we'll eat in the truck, and we'll talk, and I'll do my thing, and we'll, we'll just talk some more. Absolutely. I love spending time with Jack. I, absolutely. Any fast food place, it'll be, it'll be good. We're driving around, and we're going down Cypresswood Drive. You know Cypresswood? I think Ravenos on the other side, and there are some of the biggest houses that I've ever seen over there. They're humongous. I want to go in one of those houses just to see What's in there? Is there like a jungle gym or is there golf courses? Or, they're huge. They're massive. And I just was, I was processing all of this and I was thinking about the whole thing and about giving and got what God calls us to do. And I asked Jack, I said, Jack, do you think you can be a Christ follower and live in a house like that? And I, I was serious. And Jack, because he's very wise, didn't skip a beat, because as wise Yoda-like people do, they answer your question with a question. And he said this, well, let me ask you this. If someone from a, from a third world country 
came to your house, what would you think about that question? And I've been chewing on that question. Do I give enough? Or do I just do what's, what's required? Is there enough margin in my life to give to others in situations that are just spontaneous sometimes? Margaret Thatcher said this, no one would know who the Good Samaritan was if he didn't have money in his pocket to help. You can't help someone else and give in amazingly spontaneous and big ways outside of what God tells us if you don't have margin. And when you give like that, can I tell you, there's no greater joy. Talking about quality of life goes up exponentially when we do it God's way. Last thing before we we go to prayer, the, the first verse that we read, and you might have blown by it. Your eye is a lamp. What a weird thing to say. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your whole body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And the light that you think you've actually is, is darkness. How deep that darkness is. Now, what is he saying here? He's actually, there's a kind of a hinting meaning here. For Jewish folks back then, when you said that someone has a good eye or a bad eye, they knew exactly what you were talking about. A good eye was someone that could see very clearly, was a generous person person to have a giving heart. If you had a good eye, if you had a bad eye, it was clouded. You couldn't see very well and just very held on very tight to things if you had a bad eye. My prayer for us today is, God, give us good eyes so that we can see. Help us to let go of the things that have become our master. lives and our everything over to him. We're going to sing a song. I invite you to to sing and maybe you just need to to process this and you need to have a conversation to God as we're singing. Maybe today you want to thank God. You have you turned your life over in this this whole backwards economy of God a long time ago and God has been faithful. Because he is. He provides when you don't think that there is enough, there is enough because God will help you do that. And things come through because that's the way God is. And maybe you just want to celebrate. God, thank you. Maybe you want to celebrate. We're going to be out of debt in a month and a half. Maybe you want to thank God for what he's done in your life. Or maybe you just need, God, help me. My heart is just, this whole last 40 minutes has been, it's been a long 40 minutes, okay? So let's stand and let's sing. Let's, let's spend some time with God as we, we sing today. Thank you.